And on the eighth day, God looked down on the United States Senate and said, I need a legislator. So God made a Grassley. God said, I need a senator willing to wake up before dawn, own libs, cook ribs, work all day, own more libs, then go back to Iowa to visit all 99 counties. So God made a Grassley. I need somebody who ignores every Democrat plea for we need nine, only to turn around and use it against them when they try to pack the court. Somebody who cuts taxes, funds, vaxes, plows a field, and does a thousand push-ups before noon. So God made a grassley. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. So God made a grassly. What a wonderful way to start the program. Outstanding opener. I can't say enough how excited I am to have Senator Chuck Grassley on the episode. Been a huge fan of his for a long time. It's going to be an absolute treat, folks. It is. He was wonderful. I can't wait to get to the interview. He runs the gamut. It gives you a little bit of everything. And he was as good as, as advertised. We love having him on. I, you know, the thing that I didn't fully appreciate after, uh, or initially talking to him is that how much humor he finds in his own Twitter account. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean he already runs one of the best Twitter accounts out there. Like if you don't follow him folks instantly follow Chuck Grassley and at Grassley works. But he knows he's good at Twitter, which, you know, I applaud. He, he earned it. I appreciate his takes on the History Channel. Totally. <laughs> you know, it's great. The guy, he just brings the heat on the History Channel constantly. <laughs> he works harder than anybody in the business, and we're happy to have him on the Variety program. We also have uh, another special treat that you've been waiting some days for. The uh, one and only Matthew Foley joining us here. Folks, it is great to be here as the first journalist interviewed on the Ruthless Variety program. Thank you so much for having me today. Wait, we had Guy Benson on, right? Well, you Chicago is better than Northwestern. There we go. <laughs> I mean, Megan Kelly, too. Yeah, yeah. Good job. Yet again, Foldy screws up, but it's okay. So for the, so for <laughs> I, the, I would say she's a commentator, but okay, fine. So for the folks at home, uh, Matthew Foldy is my uh, assistant. He's at times helpful, helps uh, accomplish the things I try to get done. Uh, and there was a, a bet, as you may recall, where for him to be able to come on the show, he had to raise $10,000 for charity. Uh, why don't you go into that, Matthew? Well, it was mostly Duncan's idea, as well as everyone who wanted me to get a haircut, which was every minion and my grandma, you know, it ran the gamut. No one was a fan of my hair. Yeah, I mean, but it was Duncan, past his shoulders, folks. Like, can I, can I, can really I interrupt? Control. Can I, I, I wouldn't have it any other second. way. Foley, let me just interrupt for a second. Please. I'm still not a fan of your hair. I'm looking at it right now. And it's I feel too like long. You got a haircut, <laughs> but it's like, it's a real flock of seagull situation you've got. Yeah, that's the thing. So we got to get, we got to get photos on. So you, you tweet out the photos from the haircut, but let me tell you folks, this is an absolute flock of seagulls. <laughs> haircut that he has going on so i mean you know what it's it, 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 here's the thing is 
I was a bit miffed that he was allowed to have, you know, a professional cut his hair. And I was hoping, you know, we could do something that actually makes him feel bad. But I having a flock of seagulls haircut, at least that's getting your money's worth, right, people? I will say I showed my barber the Norman Rockwell photo that Smug sent me. And he said, your hair has to look like this. And I said to my barber, Jew, a great barber, look, I want a mixture between this Norman Rockwell thing and here's a normal photo of me pre-COVID hair. And I think he did Norman Rockwell. And you guys are out here saying I look like an 80s rocker. But we'll let the minions decide. You, you look like an asshole. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. It, it, but that's always true. <laughs> no, Foldy. Well, that has what? nothing to do with my hair. I, I will say, you know, hats off. Good job raising $10,000 for a wonderful cause, Feeding America. You know, good work. Yeah, I think, I, I think what we'll have to do is we'll, we'll get a photo here of Foldy's haircut. And we will put it next to the Flock of Seagulls photo. We'll, we'll tweet it out at, at Ruthless Podcast. So after you listen to the episode, go to the Twitter and you decide for yourself. I like that. Perfect. Perfect. I do want to tout Duncan for a second here, though. Duncan and I were chatting and he said, dude, you've got to get a haircut. Like, we, we can't allow you on the program unless your hair is cut. And I said, look, it's an audio only program. And he said it's sort of a point of pride for us. You know, we can't have hippies on. Fine, I understand. Again, That's you did have Guy yeah. Benson on. But, but Duncan said, look. If you raise a thousand dollars or if you raise five thousand uh, dollars, we'll have you on. And I said, are you kidding me? On December 31st, 2020, I shaved my facial hair and live streamed it. I mean, you know, classic e-boy manner and raised over a thousand dollars for the Gary Sinise Foundation. So I said to Duncan, look, if I can raise a thousand dollars in 90 minutes with no notice, I think we can do 10,000. I didn't realize what I was getting myself into, you know, the homes cutting my hair with shears thing at five thousand i had no say in any of that uh that was the pod bros over here but it was duncan's idea to tie it into a charity fundraiser and and i am really pleased i mean the minions stepped up in six days we raised over ten thousand dollars and uh as smug says all the time one dollar for feeding america feeds 10 people so over ten thousand dollars fed over a hundred thousand people which is you know 0.3 percent of america so, you know, seagulls on my hair or not, that's that's a deal I'm willing to take. Uh, was, the Minions really stepped up there. Yeah. Outstanding. Nice. Great, great job. You know, we appreciate it. Very nice job. Great cause. Uh, but let's get into let's get into this interview. Let's make it nice and snappy and quick. So uh, I think the folks at home would be interested to know how the heck, you know, did we cross paths in the first place, Foldy? What's the origin story there? The origin story is fantasy football, believe it or not. I was at the House Super PAC, Congressional Leadership Fund, and in, an, in a very early episode of the program, you heard Dan Constan, the very stellar head of that organization, talk about it. But basically, it is the Super PAC of the House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, in this case. And its sole purpose is to elect Republicans and defeat Democrats. And I was sitting in my office, you know, I was working on an office fantasy football pool. And I love fantasy football because of the TV show, The League, unbelievably the funniest show ever. And I reached out to Smug. I said, look, you don't know me, but I'm a huge fan, you know, as everyone is of Smugs. And what I think would be great is if we could do minion fantasy football. And he leaves me on red. Doesn't say anything. Yeah. So, and I mean, it, to go back. So my history, I, I have a checkered history with fantasy football. In college, I dominated all the <laughs> leagues I was in with friends. And, uh, you know, honest to God, I got so good. Uh I got kicked out of the league because it was just, you know, impossible to compete with me. So ever since then, I had vowed never to play fantasy again since that experience. But Foldy somehow talks me into it. 
I did not know at the time that I was reactivating this very traumatic experience for Smug. And I can attest from being in a fantasy football league with Smug, this man is a genius. He, he in our first season, he was trading Todd Gurley for Christian McCaffrey back when both were very good. Just, I mean, he fleeced everyone in trades. He's doing like 19 transactions a day, like he's on the floor of the stock exchange, you know, trying to dump GameStop. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's a killer. But so Smug said, finally, I followed up a couple times and he said, you know what? I respect the persistence. You tweet it out. You do all of the work. I'll share it. And I don't want to have anything. I don't want any like management over here. You just make out, do all the work for me. And then it's fine. Which, I mean, that's a huge surprise in hindsight, right? Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, going forward, it was the same situation. Like, uh, I'll, I'll say this, you know, I, you know, whether it's. That's uh, basically been your life with Foley, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, whether it's like managing my schedule, contacts, anything like these are very important things, you know. Uh, Mike's schedule is insane, uh, but somehow Foldy manages uh, to make sure I know what's going on, keep my meetings in check, and uh, help out. It's, it, it's you know, it's it's a lot of work, and and he does his best. So I'll give him that, folks. Very I do try it. So then, what happened after Smug shared it out though was every minion in the world blows up my DMs. I have to turn on open DMs. I had never had those on before. And all of a sudden, we're at looking at over 20 fantasy football leagues. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I love fantasy football, but I can't just do the same thing every time. So I decided to blow up the draft rules and the scoring systems. So some leagues would have no quarterbacks. Some leagues would have five kickers. A lot of leagues would have individual defensive players. So if you're a fan of the sport, you should avoid my leagues. But if you just want to have fun, they're always a hell of a good time. Absolutely. And uh, okay, so why don't we do this? So I think we've given him enough time. Are there any closing thoughts you have for us today, Foldy? Well, one thing that I am so excited for is once, thanks to Operation Warp Speed or Operation Lightspeed, whichever is the wrong one, uh, we will be. Jesus, now I know where it comes from. Right? Exactly. <laughs> uh, no comments. Um, you know, as we hopefully get over and end uh, COVID getting back to what we did beforehand, which was minion bar crawls and trivia nights in DC. It was just such a great way to meet uh, fellow Republicans. And I am so excited for, you know, once the tyrants here lift the restrictions of six to a table and whatnot, that we can get back to, uh, to doing those. And uh, the last thing I want to say about Smug is he really is an incredible guy. You know, I've had many great bosses, uh, but Smug, even though I've never act, I've always been his like, random assistant on the side. He is uh, number one in my heart and in the hearts of all of the minions. So you guys are doing the Lord's work here. It's an honor to, to join you guys on the program today. Boy, authenticity he comes in and get a microphone all by himself. And he chooses to say nice things about you, Smug. How about I, that? I mean, I, I mean, what else could you say? Right. Nice guy. That, that is true. Great job. Outstanding work, Foldy. You know, you, you well done. Work, you raised money. There you go. Well, well, guys, I look forward to coming back when it's not about my hair. <laughs> Now, I, and believe me, I'm not done with that hair yet. I feel like there's more to say. We're going to find another worthy All right, cut the interview. We're done here. We're done. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, out. I'm out. Foldy out. We're done. No he's comment. Gonna, he's going to get male pattern baldness at some point. I, I can feel it. That should just be from old age, man. <laughs> I'm 24. You know, I've got, I've got time. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Thanks for joining us, Foldy. All right. Thanks for the best in the business. All there right. We so. Go. Promises, promises made, promises kept. Thank promises, you so much to everyone who donated. Promises kept. 
uh, a very worthy cause. I do think that the cause feeding America, I, I do think is very worthy. I'm very glad we did it. I, I would go no other place. I thought it was interesting, frankly, that they didn't give uh, Foldy a hat tip for raising him 10 grand. I thought that was a pretty good right? deal. Right. Yeah. But outstanding interview. Uh, and now, folks, let us go on with the show, as they say. What do we have on the docket today, Josh? Well, there's a couple of things we got to talk about first. The first is this court packing situation, which we get into with Grassley, because, you know, he's in the center of all that uh, discussion. But Democrats actually rolled out a bill last week. And if you watch the press conference, it was just nothing short of hilarity. These people, just the dumbassery involved in their justifications for why they ought to blow up the Supreme Court. And it's like, Hank Johnson, the dude that thinks that Guam's going to tip over. There's like activists who are just completely out of touch. who have got the microphone and screaming and yelling. And anyway, the whole thing is, is completely a joke, except for the fact that they introduced legislation that would actually accomplish yep. what they're trying to with, with flipping the court. And so we've had a lot of discussion about like how serious this is. We bring it up with Grassley today, but like, Knowing their history and knowing how Democrats have navigated the judicial uh, wars over the years, like, can't you just kind of picture them adding four more seats, losing the majority, and then McConnell putting a whole bunch of right wingers? I mean, that's the thing is like, they just don't learn. How, like, how many times does he have to say, you may regret this and a lot sooner than you think? Like, how many times must he punish you before you learn? The parallels are amazing. I, it, it's not like it happened a long time ago. You know, it's like within the last, if you serve two terms in the Senate, you've had a, a front row seat to how shitty the boomerang effect is on the, on the court packing plan. But yet, you know, here we go again. It's, uh, it's a real shame. You hate to see it. And, you know, the thing, too, is I want to reiterate, we told you so. We warned you this is their play. If they could in any way... Uh, get some control of the Senate. They were going to package this all together. Right. HR one. Uh, they wanted to do court packing. They want to eliminate the filibuster. It's one, two, three. Get rid of the filibuster and then just steamroll their crazy agenda. Totally. Adding DC as a state. You know, it's just whatever. I said this on Twitter the other day. It was totally true. No matter what the direct mail or digital fundraising copy was in 2020, like if Democrats get control, they're going to do X, Y, and Z. Whatever that was, was like very, very low key compared to what they're actually doing. We undersold it. We actually (laughs) undersold how crazy they were going to be, which is absolutely incredible when you think about it. Um, You know, typically that copy is, is pretty hyperbolic, but uh, turns out, you know, we didn't go far enough for what they're trying to dream up here. And they're also bringing back the Green New Deal this week. Yeah, it's, you know, and the thing is, is that uh, it's it's worrisome the, how quickly Biden has shown he's going to cave. Like, uh, you know, last week he made that announcement that he wasn't going to change the caps that uh, President Trump put in place. And then for after the, right? for yeah. And then after the outrage, boom, within hours, within hours, flip-flop. It's entirely responsive to the left. And, and like the, there's one of two things happening, right? One of three things. One, he's an abject liar. He, he, yep. you know, he campaigned as a moderate. who was sort of like trying to get the norms back into government, right? That's, that was his thing. So either, either he's a liar. Two, he's just not running this place, yep. right? Like he's ab- actually absent in like Ron Klain or, or Kamala or somebody is running the government because it's just entirely progressive. Or, you know, three, 
maybe he's just like completely lost his mind. I mean, that should not be considered out of the question. Let's be serious. We had we had journalists uh, on TV and on Twitter being like, we need to evaluate whether President Trump could be suffering from some sort of a neurological situation. When the guy, I mean, uh, you know, you may have complaints about President Trump. The guy was was on the ball. Like, you know, you see him in those debates. The guy's all there. He knows what he's doing. He's sharp as a tack. But Biden, I don't know, man. It could be that could be a concern. Well, something's happening because he's certainly not the guy he ran as for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, there's an element of that with Democrats every time they run a campaign. It's always mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I'm the moderate, and then I try to steal your wallet when you fall asleep as soon as I'm elected. <laughs> like that's the way they roll. But this is a different level. Yeah, yeah. it's mean, worrisome. It's worrisome, and and like I said, it's not going to be enough to to point out. Uh, the media's hypocrisy. We know our our media in this country at this point is is little more than a mouthpiece in the cheering section for the left. Uh, it's right. not enough to point out the hypocrisy. It's it's time to 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 get up, dust ourselves off, and, and we got to unite and get rid of these folks. We got to vote them out. That's right. Which is a nice segue to one of the tools that the left has used here, certainly during the Trump administration, but now parlayed into use. Uh, during the Biden administration. And it all stems from, you guys all will remember the story of the Russian bounties. Yeah. Right? Big this, New York this, Times story. This genuinely infuriates me. Like I've been on, since this story broke, of uh, the fact that it was fake news, folks. It was fake news. All Everything you'd heard about how, oh my gosh, you, you heard breathlessly these reporters, especially like on CNN and at the New York Times, Oh my gosh, President Trump, this is treasonous. He is allowing Vladimir Putin to put bounties on our soldiers. Fake news. It ended up being fake news, but here's what's funny. You think it's a coincidence we find out it's fake news only after the election? Nope. Not, not just not just after the election, Smug, but after Joe Biden announces that he would like to withdraw troops from Afghanistan. Oh yeah. The moment that he announces he wants to withdraw troops from Afghanistan, now they have to un- uh, unring that bell that yeah. Vladimir Putin is trying to kill Americans in Afghanistan by putting bounties on their heads. So now fu- finally the charade can end. And, and just, just for a reminder to all, to all of our listeners, this wasn't just a one-off story, right? Oh. Like they, 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 they wrote this as like an intelligence leak leak that the president and, and, and the IG and, and, and you know, they, they don't want to discuss how this is happening. And, and some brave intelligence officer had to leak this to the media to get the truth out there. No, it was fake. It was entirely fake. And it became part of this broad narrative on broadcast, on cable, in newspapers, in magazines, on social media. It was mentioned by Joe Biden in his DNC acceptance speech. This yeah. was a coordinated campaign to lie about President Trump and to tip the election against him. And there's nothing we, we don't get a do over. There will be no special counsel. But we have an intelligence community that colludes with the media to lie to Americans every single day. And we got to figure it out. Yep. So uh, there was this really great thread on Twitter that uh, Drew Holden at Drew Holden 360. If you yeah. don't follow him, great follow. The guy's got more threads than a damn uh, knitting store. And they're all they're all on target. Uh, he just pointed out because because the thing is, is they never have to apologize. The media never has to apologize. The worst offender, as he points out, was The New York Times, 
who repeatedly said breaking news, U.S. spies and commandos in Afghanistan alerted superiors as early as January to a Russian plot to pay bounties to kill U.S. troops. Straight up. And you didn't see it just coming out of, out, out of the publications because this is the game. It goes straight from them to the Democrat elected officials. And you had all the Dems line up in Congress saying, oh, my gosh, this is treason. Holy cow. President Trump, how could you allow this to happen? Folks, he didn't because it's not true. Because it's not true. I mean, no, they just move on. The, the, the media just moves on to a new allegation. Yeah. You know, I, I was very aware after this reversal of, of the Russian bounty story of, of what our, our, our media reporters, you know, the Brian Stelters of the world would say. And Brian has his show on Sundays and he covered a lot of topics. The potato. Well, for those of you who don't know, the pit, that's the potato. Yeah. So yeah. Brian Stelter has his show on Sunday. Do you think he talked about how he was wrong about the Russian bounties? No. Nope. How it was, in fact, a hoax? Nope. No. No, no. He, you know who he has? He has Malcolm Turnbull on, the former Australian prime minister. Uh, he has Malcolm Turnbull on to, to say, quote, what Murdoch has delivered largely through Fox News in the United States is exactly what Vladimir Putin wanted oh, to achieve with his no. disinformation campaign. You really said that? That's a direct quote. Are so instead of admitting me? that you were part of a disinformation campaign run through media entities like CNN, Brian Stelter has a for another foreign politician come on to lecture Americans about how there's disinformation campaigns so run by Fox. Here's News. the thing. So this touches on a couple of things. Like I think everyone at this point all our listeners are well aware that CNN's ratings are tanking. Like I've, I've read statistics that they have halved since uh, President Trump has left office and they are looking for their next big bad. They tried, they're like, okay, we can say uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is the next threat to America. That didn't sink. You know, no one's, no one's worried about uh, a single Congresswoman. Then they're like, uh, I, I think, I think Tucker Carlson is the threat to America. Uh, it's Fox news. They're trying to find, you know, someone to focus their hatred and their hoaxes towards yeah. to juice those ratings because they have to keep their audience angry. They have to keep their audience scared. That's well, right. it's 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 part of their entire strategy to advance a progressive agenda that there needs to be this creeping fascism around yep. every corner. Yep. That if we don't if we don't pass this bill or we don't pursue this policy, fascism's coming to America. Yep. And that's why, you know, I go on Twitter and I see promoted tweets from the Washington Post talking about QAnon, talking about January 6th. Yeah. Why do you think that is? It's not, it's not by accident. It's because they need this perpetual drumbeat to keep everyone scared and watching television and clicking. And, it, and, and all of that helps them advance the policy objectives of the Democratic Party. Yeah, completely right. I saw all of them tweeting out, by the way, I think Lynn Wood over the weekend had some particularly crazy room. I remember this attorney for, I guess he wasn't even Trump's attorney, but he was like truly a bizarre individual down in Georgia who was saying, that, you know, all kinds of nonsense, but he showed up over the weekend at some rally talking about QAnon. And like, this is just some lawyer, right? I mean, he doesn't have any significance within the Republican Party whatsoever. I don't even think he's a Republican. I think we found out. But but everybody, all the mainstream press are tweeting this guy out over the weekend as if he was giving like the state of the Republican Party address. And it, it, that's the thing is it, they are the, the press is the mainstream media is constantly trying to keep the public scared and engaged, believing that there's some big bad wolf who's going to come and get you. They try. So the, the Russia thing for years, for years, they pushed. 
folks, Russia Russia's not even a top 10 country on earth by GDP. All right. If if the US wanted, they could turn a couple switches and just end the country's economy. They're completely reliant on, on just one sector, the energy sector. Russia has zero actual bearing in the world. It's like they're complaining about Russia is like a, a, a 50-year-old Rottweiler with no teeth <laughs> sitting in the corner that they're like, watch out for him, watch out for him. And then you've got a, a, a wolf in the house. You got a wolf in the kitchen tearing the place up. China has shown they're running concentration camps. They're able to bend corp- multinational corporations to their will at the threat of, well, if, if, you, don't, if, you, don't like, uh, if you don't like how we run things with slave labor, Hey, we, we can cut you out of one of the largest markets on earth. And and like Nike, Disney, all of them bend. Yeah, which is why American like, corporations are all wrapped around the axle with this Georgia voting rights thing, right? Because all yep, of the, yep. the woke left was was pushing them to issue statements against Georgia's voting law. And all of them would like just blindly do it. And they're like, hey, by the way, you're operating in a country that has concentration camps like 15 miles from your facility. What do you think yeah. about that? Yeah, how, how, how many of those CEOs are going to sign a letter? denouncing the weird concentration camps that China is running to make their products. They don't, they don't, they won't. It's ridiculous, but look, all of this uh, disinformation, misinformation stuff uh, does have an interesting effect on the electorate. And our our second segment is a kind of a fun one in that the studies have been done. This is from the New York times. Political junkies might be interested to learn that conservative women are particularly blissful. About 40% say they are very happy. That makes them slightly happier than conservative men and significantly happier than liberal women. The unhappiest of all are liberal men. Only a fifth (laughs) consider themselves happy. I love also that this came, uh, you know, that this popped up. It's from the New York Times. Is anyone shocked? Is anyone shocked? I mean, I think essentially the basis of the Democrat party is misery, right? Like they have to be miserable people to be a Democrat in the first place. The sky is falling. Everything is wrong. That That's basically their platform. <laughs> the unhappiest of all are liberal men. Only a fifth consider themselves happy. Well, look, at least the liberal men consider themselves men to begin with, which is, I guess, a, a, a step in the right direction. I mean, it's, it's I assume it was a. I assume it was a relatively small sample size. <laughs> I, I would. I would not imagine a lot of men will tell a pollster that they identify as being a liberal and also being very happy. <laughs> I mean, that is. A, if you think that's a tiny slice, a tiny slice. Only they said only about twenty percent of liberal men consider themselves happy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine my you know, my official response as a conservative man? I consider myself very happy. If that were a choice on the poll, you if know, you, thank God liberal, everything's going well for me. I got my health. If you're a liberal man and you respond to this poll, you're just you're just reinforcing the patriarchy. Uh, there you go. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because it's a first of all, it's gender exclusion. To begin true, with, true. Right? If you're if you're segmented out to begin with in the poll, that's that's completely ridiculous. I mean, the funny thing to me though is that liberal women also second lowest, right? So, like one of two things is going on there. They they either are just also liberalism makes you depressed all the time, which I think there's something to, or the fact that they have to live with liberal men. <laughs> I also think so there was I I want to say it was the New York Times who had a poll earlier that said there's a higher percentage of liberal women who currently are willing to date a conservative, you know, a, a man of, of opposing viewpoint 
than liberal men, you know, willing to date a conservative woman. So I think that also explains the happiness situation. You know, imagine being a liberal woman and and, and your selections are liberal men. Like, ugh. <laughs> do I really want to deal with that? I think it's a special project for this new Rumspringa um, yeah. that that our conservative young men. Um, you need to go out there and start dating a liberal woman and save her from from these unhappy <laughs> liberal men. Oh, my gosh. That goes a- for conservative women. I mean, I'd say even there. There's got to be con- converse to the cost. For, for, for God's sake, 20%, only 20% of liberal men are happy. That is, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised, but holy shit. Like that, 20%? This is 80% so, are not happy? What? The challenge for, li- for conservative women and conservative men, if you are see- still in seeking a partner, uh, what you should do is try to use this summer as an opportunity to improve some lives out there. Yeah, there I mean, the go. easiest way to, to 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 bump up that twenty percent is to have have that liberal man become conservative. Like, <laughs> holy moly! You mean there's barbecue and guns and liberty? I mean, things are starting to look up. <laughs> you don't have to apologize four times before you brush your teeth in the morning. Terrific! Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Th- that percentage would go up. Um, <laughs> but but really, I mean, look, it all feeds into what we were just talking about, which is where your information flow comes yep. as, as a liberal every day, you're taught that there is some problem with you, yep. with humanity, with America, with your race, with your views, with your, whatever you choose to do, right? It's you are inherently a villain and society has got to self-correct because you're a bad person, right? That's and basically it. That's, so the left, I mean, has essentially mastered, the art of if you can keep them afraid, you can keep them in control. That's, That's it. basically become their MO. And it segs perfectly into our next section where uh, there were some great, there's some very interesting, I should say, numbers that came out uh, over the weekend. I saw Nate Silver tweet this one out. Um, the New York Times had a story showing that uh, they, they asked the audience, you know, when they polled folks, they said, test yourself, what percentage of people who get COVID have to get to the hospital. Think about that. Let's say, let's give the folks at home like a few seconds. Think about that. What percentage of the people infected with COVID do you believe have to go to the hospital? Yeah. Again, right. this isn't downplaying the virus, which is awful. It's just a, uh, objective facts. Everybody yeah. get vaccines. So this is, this is all about where you get your information. This yep. next part's great. The correct answer is somewhere between one and 5%. One to 5% of people who get COVID have to be hospitalized. But but Democrats polled think that the percentage is as much as 10 times higher. 41% of Democrats think that 50% of people who get COVID need to be hospitalized. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Yeah, that's like like bubonic plague, like uh, you know, uh kind of numbers. Like they th- they think it's just essentially just like a death sentence. It's like everybody sitting around eating Ebola popsicles. Or yeah, something. yeah, like, and, and nearly and nearly 70% think it's 20% or higher. Yeah, I mean, like we're talking like magnitudes higher, not even in the same neighborhood, not, you know, not, not, you know, a couple multiples, who knows? We're talking magnitudes higher. They think it's magnitudes higher. And so that's part of it is like, you look at where the Democrats get their information now that we have information siloed in such a way and you have, you have CNN just pushing the fear button all day long. 
that's, uh, you know, it explains a lot of the behavior. Like, you know, I, part of me is thinking you can't blame these folks. They think you have to quadruple mask after you get the vaccine because they think it's a 50, 50 chance. I'm in the emergency room if I catch this thing. So you, you, you got to follow some, some liberals on Twitter because it's just fascinating. I mean, Joy Reid comes out and says that she's vaccinated. She's got all this stuff. She's still going <laughs> to, still going to double mask. And uh, I mean, it's like, man, the information flow that is going to liberal partisans in America is going to take generations to undo. Like, I don't know when these people are actually going to return to society. They're so scared. Yeah. Like QAnon might be like three Looney Tunes who, 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 are, who, are, who have an internet connection, but you've got an actual media corporation with, with a cable news channel out here just pumping fear into folks thinking that you've got a 50-50 shot. You catch this, you're going straight to the ER. Just, just manipulating people to be afraid for their lives because they want ratings. It's awful. You would think with all the navel-gazing in the media about disinformation and, you know, people getting bad information on, you know, social media, or, you know, they say Fox News is a problem or whatever, you would think that looking at this poll would be a wake up call to every mainstream journalist in America. Mm -hmm. And that if you were on cable news on CNN, or cable news on MSNBC, you would you would change or recalibrate your coverage to reflect reality because you are honestly destroying this country. We cannot have an America that reopens if the people that make up that economy are too scared to leave their homes. There was, so there's a Bloomberg opinion piece that dropped. The headline is straight up, we must start planning for a permanent pandemic. Unbelievable. With coronavirus mutations pitted against vaccinations in a global arms race, we may never go back to normal. But that is the level of fear that's getting pumped in there. Right, right. And and like you said, Holmes, Joy Reid saying, you know, I've gotten the first shot. I'm going to get my next shot, but I'm too scared to be flying. I'm I, no indoor activities. And the thing that's saddest about it, you read the replies. Oh, yeah. Yep. And they the say, they I'm say, the- me too. Here I am. Here's my picture of me double masking. You know, I'm staying, I'm staying home. I'm too many variants, yada, 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 yada. Yeah. And it's what you start to understand is this is a feature, not a bug. It is a that, feature. That, that, that MSNBC, CNN, they want you at home, watching on television, boosting their ratings, making them money. And, and that's what this is. is fear porn. That's what this is. That's what it is. And it goes, it goes beyond. The funny thing is they're the tool for it. They're kind of like the middleman in this thing. You, you'd like to say that the media companies on the left are actually the perpetrators of all things bad. They are the perpetrators of a lot of things bad, as we just mentioned. But they are a part of the machine. The other thing that I've talked about fairly frequently on the program is the, is the idea that the pandemic itself is as close to liberal ideal governance as you're ever going to see. Yep. This is what they want. This is not like some bad sort of emergency condition that they have to navigate. They actually want you to stay at home. They want to tell you how much money that they can send you, when you can work, who's go- whose kids get to go to school, when they get to go to school, what they learn. My God, we can't teach them American history. We've got to invent a new version of that. Yep. It's like everything that you've seen pile out over the last year, 13 months, is not an extraordinary emergency liberal view of how you ought to govern. It's how they want to govern. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, this is it. 
like they, you know, you heard uh, 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 what's his name? One of Obama's advisors say you should never let a crisis go to waste. That's yeah, exactly Emanuel. the point. Yep, it's, it was Rahm Emanuel. Perfect thing. They just wanted, you know, Green New Deal, everything they're pushing right now. They found a way to just weasel it in. Hey, well, I've, I've started calling this. I've started calling this Munchausen by pandemic. <laughs> um, if, if you're not you familiar some, with, you need some smarts to pick that one. Yeah, up, right? so Munch, Munchausen by proxy is when, you know, s- someone's mentally ill and they make say like a child sick so that they can get attention. But Munchausen by pandemic is basically, you know, people who want to be scared forever, double mask forever, despite the fact that they're vaccinated because they don't want America to be reopened. And people like Joy Reid have a financial reason to want you to be home forever. Yeah. And it, yeah. and like, you know, I mean, we just got to call it what it is. And it's Munchausen by pandemic. It's not it. based in reality. It's not based in reality. And what I can't, I mean, Fauci's still out everywhere just contributing this hand over Big fist. Messaging right? nonstop. So he provides an element of, of validation. He went on the- our show. He went on Joy Reid's show. Right. And just lets her say this stuff. I mean, can you imagine Fauci appearing on Ruthless? Absurd. (laughs) Oh, my God. I would like that, honestly. The the man is is actively aiding and abetting this hysteria, you know? And it's like, I get it. You're an epidemiologist. and, 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 you know, the man has a lot of experience. But he's starting to get a little outside of his lane. Now he's talking about gun control. Yeah. No, Phil Sims. Unbelievable. Doing color commentary. I mean, he is so far out of his depth. But I mean, to take this even beyond COVID and another situation that we're watching, the whole world is watching this week in Minneapolis with the trial of Derek Chauvin and everyone, I don't care if you're a conservative, you're a liberal, you live in Minneapolis, you live anywhere in the world, is just sitting there white knuckles, like very concerned about how this is going to go down and what it means for the fabric, social fabric of our country. Like regardless of what the outcome is, if he's, if he's found guilty, if he's found not guilty, if it's manslaughter, if it's murder, you know, like whatever the list of possibilities, everyone is sort of sitting there horribly concerned about what's going to happen as they should be. But all of these media companies have spent the last two weeks trying to drum up the unrest. Yeah. I mean, you saw him sent there. We're, we're, it was that CNN reporter, right? Who, 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 was, who was breathlessly trying to report that this riot and chaos to get everyone scared. And then you saw someone from the community walk up and be like, you're the problem. You got to go. Just leave us alone. Right. Right. And they, and they won't, right? And, and to build into this discussion that we're having about where this like ultra liberal progressive mind pollutant comes from, there was a, a poll that was done it's in a bunch of law enforcement literature that I've seen. I will find it, but they did a poll of very liberal, liberal or very liberal respondents who believed that there were a thousand or more unarmed black men killed by police in 2019. A thousand or more. Wow. The actual number, according to the Washington Post, was 12. Wow. Right. That's oh my. See, that's the thing. And that's and, the thing. And so, but, but then, you know, like you even expanded a little bit, 34% of that same liberal or very liberal believe there was 10,000 or more unarmed black men killed wow. by police. Now, if you live in a world 
where you believe that there are 10,000 or more unarmed black men killed in by police, you're getting on the streets. Yeah. You're getting on the streets. Yeah. That is, that is unbelievably horrible. I mean, any, look, let me just say one is unbelievably horrible. Yep. One, anyone is unbelievable, which is the discussion that we're having. The problem that we see is that the liberal and progressive information flow doesn't deal with the facts. They don't deal with the historical concern, the reason it's a problem today, because of the, the tradition of discrimination in this country that has led us to this point. They don't have those discussions. Those are honest discussions. The discussion that they have would lead someone to believe there are 10,000 or more unarmed people being killed by police. That's nuts. I mean, it's for, for all these companies like NBC News and all of those after 2016 started hiring reporters who have like the disinformation beat yeah. and whatever. Number one, you never heard them trying to correct after the Russian bounties. Number two, you never see them trying to address this absolute misinformation the entire left has been brainwashed into thinking it's like hell on earth and you won't get an apology from the left it's not going to come through saying they're hypocrites they're not accountable because it makes them money you're not going to get it through pointing out that hypocrisy it's going to be through elections yeah no you've got you've got you know all these disinformation reporters who entire their entire beat is chasing down some grandmas who believe in QAnon. But they won't they won't correct all of the liberal misinformation on coronavirus infections. And they're not going to certainly not going to try to correct the stats that Holmes just mentioned. Right. Right. And but the, the bottom and the bottom line is what you referred to, Duncan, is it's the damage that it does to society. Yep. Right. It, it like, look, if we're having a partisan debate, so be it. You know, I mean, look, there are two sides. Everybody's yelling at each other. Americans have long since processed partisanship and people taking liberties of the, with the facts. But when you are, as a matter of practice, educating half this country with facts that are not only not true, but are actively undermining every single sort of institution in our country and actively turning Americans on each other, which is what you're seeing in Walmarts when you've got a guy whose mask slips below his nose, mm -hmm. which what you're seeing happening in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, right? Yep. All, th those, are, those are truly problematic events because the society, the fabric of our society is being tested. And when you make money, when your job is to try to pull that fabric even further, you suck. I mean, I'm just going to say, you're, you, are, you are the scum of the earth. And that, I, that is it. That's it. That's it. And I don't think we're going to get an apology from any of these people anytime soon, but I'd nope. sure as hell love if they're, if they ran into trouble with viewership, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the only good news of any of this is that their, their, their viewers have dropped by like 50%. Yeah. Mm. Which is, which is why they're more conservative, happy conservatives. Cause they're not watching that mess. There you go. Oh man. So, so I guess I, I want to do this sec. Speaking of happy conservatives, not just me, but our, our guests that we have on the show today. I am so excited. So excited, folks. I've been a huge fan of Senator Grassley for some time. Absolute renaissance man. Runs one of the best Twitters out there. And probably one of the centers I can relate to the most. You know, I, I, I like Dairy Queen and I wish the History Channel showed more history. <laughs> uh, 
So I'm very excited about this interview. I say we get right into it. I want to welcome to the program somebody I'm a huge fan of. I know Smug is a huge fan of, an absolute legend in Republican politics, certainly in Iowa politics, Senator Chuck Grassley. Welcome to the program. I'm glad to be with you anytime. And if this is a kickoff, I'm glad to be selected as your first person. <laughs> yeah, well, Absolutely. listen, it's always the first person when you're on, right? Okay. I mean, this is that you can't, there's no, you don't have a podcast until Chuck Grassley comes on. I, I did know that I wasn't the first one to open up your. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, I mean, I've been very much looking forward to this one. You've definitely been one of my favorite personal senators for, for as long as I can recall. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Glad to be with you, of course, Mug. So one of the things we wanted to dabble in before we get into the serious politics, and there's plenty of serious stuff to talk about these days, but one of the things you are world renowned for is your workout regimen. Now, I've heard senators talk when I worked up there and now since, they are in awe of the regimen that you keep up. It, tell us a little bit about, you have a regular running schedule, do you push-ups, you got all, you got all the dials spinning. Yeah, uh, let's put it this way. I started at age 65 to run because I visited so many nursing homes and I didn't want to have the athletic director in these nursing homes uh, have a hard time making me to do little things like this, you know. Yeah. And so I decided I was going to start running. And I was a runner for 15 years. And now I'm in my 22nd year of uh, more like shuffling along, if you'd like. <laughs> well, I've seen and, video. It looks a lot better than shuffling to me. It looks like you could you definitely beat Smug and I. I know yeah, that. I think I think you got me in a workout plan yeah. for sure. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I, I uh, do it every day now. Uh, at least six days a week. I better be honest with you. Amazing. I used to, I used to do it four times, three miles a day, and uh, or four days a week, I should say. And then uh, I decided two or three years ago to do six days, two miles. So I can handle that better now. Amazing. And, I can, and the last time I did push-ups, I could do 30. <laughs> there you go. But, but, I used to, but I used to do 50. So legend has it last fall, you tested positive for COVID and never broke your running routine. Is that true? That's true. And I did that, wow. for, the sole, I did that for the sole reason that uh, when, I, when I went to the hospital and I was only there three hours, that they tried to convince me that I needed to have some of this new stuff like the President Trump had. And, uh, and they said, what's wrong with you? And I said, there's nothing wrong with me. And I told her, the nurse, when I left, I said, if I can't breathe in the morning after my run, I'll call you up and I'll come in and get the treatment. <laughs> and uh, so, so I did it not just because it was part of my regular exercise, but I was asymptomatic, so that tells you something. I was a little fatigued, mm -hmm. but I did make a point of uh, doing it just to test to make sure whether my COVID might be getting worse. That's amazing. That's incredible. Well, we salute you for at any point in life being able to at least double the workout regimen of Smug and I. Yeah, but, yeah. But one of the things that put you on Smug's radar is your, his all-time favorite was that you were re really like one of the first senators, Republican or Democrat, to make personal use of Twitter. And you were very early. Incredible. I mean, could be the best senator on Twitter, folks. If you don't follow uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, at Chuck Grassley and at Grassley Works, follow those accounts now. 
Well, it shouldn't surprise you. I was one of the first people to use a fax machine. <laughs> there you go. Right. Yeah. Right. Innovating so, at every stage. So uh, it's uh, whether this is the latest or there's something coming along later that I will use that maybe uh, isn't in my vocabulary yet, uh, I'm going to uh, do everything I can to enhance public discussions of issues, try to engage my my constituents in in commenting things to me. I uh, tend to uh, do everything I can to make what I call the process of representative government work. And if you're going to have to have representative government, you've got to have dialogue between those of us that are elected and the people we serve. And uh, from that standpoint, uh, uh, Twitter's just part of it. Instagram's part of it. I always tell my people when I'm out at uh, my county meetings, I say something like, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or you can get all my speeches and all my press releases on grassley.senate.gov. And then I also tell them that if I'm, if I got 3 million constituents, I don't see only a small percentage of those constituents face to face. So you need to email me when, uh, when you can't see me face to face and expect an answer. If you don't get an answer, uh, write me a nasty note and ask me why I didn't answer your <laughs> answer your your thing because I do want to answer every piece of mail that I have. And uh, thank I God that. I have some people come to my town meetings and says he's right. He did answer my email. So whether it's Twitter like your question started out with, or whether it's email or my 99 county visits that I have every year. Amazing. Uh, it's all about representative government. You got to know what's on your constituents' minds if you're going to represent them. That's right. And to be clear, you do run your own Twitter account. All those gems about uh, assume deer dead, pigeon scenario, Dairy Queen, all of it is from your genius mind, correct? Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, if I, but if I got a staff person around that doesn't have big fingers and thumbs like I do, and I can get them <laughs> to type it in, they might type it in. Fantastic. The, the pigeon identification series of tweets has been a rock solid number one draft pick for almost anybody yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. If you haven't well, seen it, you should go look it up. I, I, I can tell you, I do a lot of Twitter to have a little fun too. Yeah. But that, was, that particular tweet was not to have a little bit of fun. It was to send a message to my staff that I was okay, even though we hit a deer that I couldn't find. <laughs> and so I have... Yeah, have to assume it was dead. Assume the deer's dead. Makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's fantastic. Well, uh, one of the things that we wanted to get into, because you have been at the center of Republican efforts on the judiciary to build out what was an extraordinary, I think probably the biggest accomplishment of the Trump administration in terms of the federal court systems and the Supreme Court. And you were, you were the front and center of all of that. And now you look and, it, and liberals appear to be trying to push the Biden administration into a court packing plan going as far as to introduce legislation last week. Give us your thoughts on that. Well, the best thought is expressed by President Biden himself when he's a senator. When he talked about FDR trying to do it in the 1938 and 39 period of time, he said it was a boneheaded idea. Mm -hmm. It is a boneheaded idea. But more importantly, it deals with one of the few instances, 
few institutions of our government that has the most respect. Mm -hmm. It'd be the Supreme Court. It would politicize the Supreme Court. It would ruin its credibility if it was seen as a political body. And, uh, and that's the, the bad part of it. And couldn't be expressed any better by Justice Breyer a couple weeks ago when he said practically the same thing. Or couldn't be said any better by Justice Ginsburg before she passed away. And I don't know how many months before she passed away, but she said uh, nine is the right number. And uh, then you also got to think about if you want balance in the Supreme Court, I think uh, Biden was again quoted during the campaign, maybe early in his campaign for the presidency this time, before he even had the nomination. Uh, he said, uh, the way you get balance, and the reason this hit me, because I have said the same thing, the way you get balance is when you have a Democrat president, you get that type of people on the Supreme Court. When you have a Republican president, you get a different type of people on the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And over a period of time, it's balanced out. Yep. You know, right, right. And it's, it, you know, when you talk to your colleagues, because I think, I mean, look, at, at some point, in everybody's Senate career, they come to the conclusion that what you just said, that it's absolutely ridiculous to try to screw around with the Supreme Court and try to pack the court or do some sort of extraordinary measure to try to slant the court in, in, in your favor. When you talk to your colleagues, how much of this do you think is just a, a show to the progressive base, or do they actually mean it? I mean, do they really think that this, that this is something they would execute? Something Pelosi told me tells me that it's kind of a show. Hmm. She was reported that very same day as saying, at least, at least until this commission that the president appointed comes up, she isn't going to bring it up. And I'll bet you she won't be bringing it up anyway, because I doubt if there, there'd be enough Democrats. I doubt if any Republican would approve it in the House representatives. Uh, I, there'd be several Democrats that wouldn't. I mm -hmm. doubt if it could get 50 Democrat votes in the United States Senate. So I think it's playing to the base. Yeah, yeah, it's but what it appears to be. But, but dangerously playing to the base. If you believe in the Constitution and... Uh, the separation of powers and everything like that. And, uh, and quite frankly, it just shows you how radical the left is in, this, uh, in the Democratic Party. Well, that, that's one thing I wanted to pick up on because you've, you've been around a while. You've seen almost everything there is to see in terms of both parties, the maturation to where we're at now within the Republican Party and within the Democratic Party. It seems to me, just from an outsider's perspective, looking at the Democratic Party now, they are further left than we ever could have envisioned 10, 15, 20 years ago. Is that, is that the case from your perspective? Is this just a much, much more liberal set of senators than we've ever seen before? Well, all you got to do is listen to what Biden said and stands he took right. as a member of the Senate for 36 years and see how he has changed. And it can only be because uh, the uh, the progressives are running the Democrat Party. And what's scary about it is, if that's the direction of the Democratic Party for the next uh, 50 years, let's say, and they're headed there very quickly right now, uh, it's very dangerous. Because we've been a country that is more operated within the 80% of what you would call the center. Now, that's a pretty big center, but you, if you eliminate 10% of the Republicans on the extreme right, 
and uh, 10% of the Democrats on the extreme left, then you had about 80 votes left in the United States Senate. And, uh, and uh, quite frankly, it's probably more like uh, uh, 40% of the far left. So you're going to find wow. your middle ground in the 50%, that's about 10% Democrat and 40% Republican. Wow. Wow. That's an incredible shift. Yeah, that is something. And you mentioned just Biden himself. You worked alongside then-Senator Biden for so many years, and particularly on the Judiciary Committee. Do you think he really believes this stuff, or is he just basically ceded all the sort of agenda to the more progressive elements within his administration and within Congress? Well, I think the word legacy tries to drive it. And I think he expressed that legacy he wants. And, and I think he speaks from the standpoint of people have told him rather than what he actually believes that he could be, uh, he could do, he could be make dramatic changes mm-hmm. like FDR did. And he's, <laughs> and those dramatic changes that FDR made would be very conservative compared to where He's headed if he gets away with it. And I don't think he's going to get away with it. But that's that's what I think he is. So I think he's thinking about his legacy. Uh, he's been sold a bill of goods. And that's why it's so easy to go along. Just think of what happened Thursday or Friday. He put out something on refugees. Mm-hmm. And then a whole bunch of people get worked up. When I say a whole bunch of people, it only takes five or six <laughs> of the most socialist members of the United States House of Representatives to say uh, that that he's not living up to what he said. So Saturday, he says uh, he's going to get back to more numbers on refugees about May the 15th. The ironic thing about it is he says, you know, we can't do two things at a time. If you don't have a president that can handle five things at a time, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was very concerning to me is how quickly he can cave to the further left elements. I thought that was really something. Is Within a matter of hours, he yeah. absolutely flip-flops on his position. That's definitely worrying. Yeah, yeah, and immigration itself is a, an issue, obviously, you've been neck deep on for years and years, one of the leaders in the conservative movement on trying to secure our border. What do you make of what's going on right now? It's a crisis, and it's a crisis because they didn't listen to the professionals. The Border Patrol leaders, when I was in at the Rio Grande uh, three weeks ago, I think it was, that uh, they had a chance to brief the transition team before the president was sworn in. And they said, just leave things the way they are. If you want to process people faster than Trump was, uh, do it in an orderly way. You can tell they didn't listen. Uh, At that time, we had 841 people cross the border that had criminal records. Uh, we had more drugs coming into the country, uh, so very law enforcement problem. It's a public health problem when 10% of the people that are tested, and they aren't all tested, but they have COVID, so it's a health, public health problem. It's a national security problem when you uh, arrest a, a couple uh, people from Yemen who are on our terrorist list coming into the country. Right. If, if you don't secure your border, you're not a sovereign nation. We, uh, uh, you two and I could not go to a foreign country without their permission. Where do we get the idea that anybody can, can come to our country anytime 
they want to uh, without our permission. Yep. And, uh, uh, and you know, we just would like to find out what's wrong by having a judiciary hearing on this, and Democrats won't even give us Republicans a judiciary committee hearing on the problems at the border. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, that, I mean, that highlights another problem, obviously, with you not having a gavel <laughs> in a 50-50 Senate. So let's talk politics for a little, for a little bit. I, I, my sense is that Republicans – so I was in, in 09, I was working with Leader McConnell with all of you on our road back. And it felt like it took several months to sort of get grip again. You know, after the Bush administration, it took us a little while to begin to build back cohesiveness within the party. I feel like from an outsider's perspective, watching what you all are doing, that the party within the Senate is way ahead of where we were in 09, which ultimately did lead to the comeback of the Republican Party. What's your sense? Do you feel like Republicans are sort of on the rise again? And could we recapture that majority in 2022? Definitely. And I think the Democrats' progressive agenda has made it easier for us. Mm -hmm. But uh, let's look at a little bit of history. Uh, I don't get worried about, you you know, maybe you haven't heard it so much in the last two or three weeks, but since November, all you heard about was the Republican Party lost its direction. That is not true at all. That's what, that's the figment of the imagination of the liberal press. And, uh, and so consequently, uh, just a little bit of history. When I came to the United States House of Representatives as the only Republican member from the state of Iowa in a delegation of about seven or eight, uh, we only had 140 members in the Iowa House. And everybody was saying the Republican Party was dead. And maybe I was even feeling that way. Six years later, we had a Republican president, and we had a uh, uh, we had a majority in the United States Senate. Right. The United, we didn't know how to run the United States Senate. We had a lot of learning to do. <laughs> what do you do now? Senator Baker was the new leader. What do you do now? We didn't know what to do. And of course, uh, Senator uh, Byrd was telling him how to run the Senate. You know. <laughs> That is one thing in in history. We haven't had a lot of it lately because we've kind of flopped back and forth within decades. But Republicans were out of power for a long time. I remember after the Democrats had held the House for 40 some odd years and Republicans came in, everybody was looking around like, anybody know how to run this place? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and don't forget, our party is from the grassroots up. Right. Everybody, uh, this is something that people are bringing in about Trump. Does he run the party? Is he a leader? Uh, time will tell that. Right. But, but don't worry about, it's not a top-down thing. If you're a leader, you got to have some followers. That's right. And, and it develops from the top up. Why would the progressives be in the majority now in the United States Senate if it wasn't for Senator Sanders building that up to where they are now? And, and bringing uh, uh, Biden under the umbrella. Mm-hmm. And he's very much under the umbrella, and he doesn't realize it's raining. <laughs> Any, anyway, he, uh, uh, it's the same because we, have, we don't have one Republican Party. We have 50 different Republican parties. We have 50 different Democrat parties. And, uh, and it, it really comes to a head with who they nominate in 2024. 
for both parties. No, no question about it. If that kind of analysis, I couldn't agree more. Everything that you said is, is completely 100% accurate. And I think you get a good, for our listeners, you get a good understanding of, of how this guy has been the most popular person in Iowa for as long as he has, because that is, that's exactly right. There are many elements of the Republican Party, and you've got to figure out how to cobble together winning coalitions over time. You, sir, are a part of a winning coalition forever. And I, I just have to ask you here, are you going to run for reelection? Because we need you. Do you know I was asked that on Iowa Public Radio this very day? Really? And I, I, I'm going to give you the same answer. Uh, get back to me in September, October, November. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm hoping that's a yes, though. I'm, you know, I'll be the person to say I support you on the, this run. But isn't one year long enough to campaign? Well, it is for you because I feel like you've been campaigning every year that you've been in public service. The only difference is whether you call it a campaign or not. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't want to call this one a campaign for 12 months. <laughs> okay. All right. And, well, that's, and that's not a yes yet. Okay. You mentioned earlier going into history, uh, one of a number of things I agree with you, Senator, is the state of the History Channel. I miss the actual history programming, like uh, when they had uh, with Kenny Rogers on the old, uh, the old West, all the old shows that they actually had on the History Channel. So that is a topic I certainly sympathize with you on. Well, you should, because it's intellectually dishonest to call yourself a History Channel if you don't have any history on it. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I'm lucky once in a while to find a little bit of history, and I'll let people know on Twitter. Exactly. But That's it, one of the many well, benefits, folks, of following him. Is it, you will get an alert from Senator Grassley if an actual history show is on oh, the they History got Channel. Their, how they got their credibility when they were first on, they had history 24 hours a day. Yep. And I doubt if they have it 24 minutes a day now. <laughs> I love the strong stand against the history channel. That's fantastic stuff. <laughs> we, have, um, we have three very important questions that we ask every guest of the program. And I'm particularly fascinated to hear your answers. The, the first one is your last meal on earth, Senator Grassley, what would it be? Ice cream with the side of pork chop. <laughs> Perfect. And, you know, can we make this a two-part question? You, like myself, are also a Dairy Queen enthusiast. What's your Dairy Queen order? Uh, Snickers Breeze. Perfect. Perfect. Snickers. Snickers. They have Breeze, but they have some Blizzard. Snickers Blizzard. Perfect. Absolutely perfect that. answer. I love that. And, like well there's a order. there's another place where big corporations uh, played a bad part in my life. They uh, until a year ago, for three or four years, they didn't have Snickers, and we could never find out why. Uh, finally, they got it back on. I'm not sure I had anything to do with that, but <laughs> so I had to go to Reese's uh, for for the backup. My, yeah, for my backup, and, and that didn't hurt. That didn't turn out to be so bad, but I'm glad they have Snickers back. Can you imagine a big corporation like Dairy Queen trying to decide that maybe Snickers is not good for me? Because I'll bet you that's what they were doing. Yeah, it's one of the best things on the menu. That's a poor decision on their part. Thank God it's back. Yeah. <laughs> the indignity of having to go to Reese's is, is something else. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, so this is, a, this is an actually very interesting question to you because you've dedicated your life to public service. If you weren't in public service, if you were never in politics, what would you be doing with your life? 
Well, 60 years ago, I wouldn't have said farming, but today it would be farming. Mm -hmm. I was born on a farm. I never intended to be a farmer. My dad died at age 67 in 1960, and then I started farming. Uh, for the 10 years before that, as I was getting out of high school and, and going to graduate school and everything you do to get degrees, I was going to be a political science professor. I never finished my PhD at the University of Iowa because I was elected to the legislature and I had so many mouths to feed, I couldn't afford to go back. Hmm. So, uh, but I was intending to be a political science professor. That's really interesting. So, but, but now, if I'm not in the United States Senate, it'll be a lifetime as a farmer. So, so tell me about, because this intersects with our Twitter conversation. I had, I had read that initially when you started using Twitter, you had your phone that you kept on your head under That's your right. cap as you were driving the combine. Is that true? Yeah, since the mid-80s, mid I did that. But it's for a very practical reason. Uh, tractors make a lot of noise, and you can't hear the phone ring. So when it vibrates and you got it on your head, you can answer it right away. That makes really, sense. That's good really, thinking. That is, that is practical thinking. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. <laughs> All right. So the third and final question, you're going to have to bear with me, but it, what it is basically is to test what motivates Senator Grassley. And there are two elements. You're either motivated by the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat or avoiding the agony of defeat. So, Senator Grassley, what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Agony of defeat. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> so one of, the things, one of the things I'm going to take into consideration on my decision to run for re-election or not is I had a staffer, now defeat, deceased. He was a former member of the Iowa House of Representatives starting about uh, – eight years after I was first elected, we become very good friends. His, uh, he was Speaker of the House for two years and then Minority Leader probably for 20 years. And then later on, his daughter took his place and she was Speaker of the House. And she got out a couple years ago and Pat Grassley, now my grandson, Speaker of the Iowa House. Wonderful. Uh, I, this is what he said to me one time. You know, you know what uh, General MacArthur said? Uh, Old soldiers never die. Yeah. They just fade away. You're, you're too young to know that. No, no. We, 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 we read history, too. Okay. Well, thank God. But anyway, he said, senators never die. They will run just one time too often. <laughs> but, but listen, that sounds like we're ending a program on a kind of a sinister basis. Uh, I want you to know I love being a United States senator. Yeah, even even with you folks, well, you make it enjoyable. But I, I I love my work, whether I'm dealing with you or I got to deal with a lot of people that I very much disagree with. I don't know anybody who has enjoyed it more or showed more other senators, young senators, how you're supposed to do it. You've been engaged from moment one. An absolute uh, pleasure to talk to you today, Senator Grassley. I appreciate can I, it. Can I say one other thing about my work? You so just, re just remember, I have not lost a single election in the, in the period of time since I was elected to the House in 1958, the Iowa House. That's a record. 
Well, let's just fusing the two together, your undefeated piece, and then being motivated to avoid the agony of defeat. The, the minions, which is the listeners of this program and followers of, of Smug, and all of the listeners of this program will work their tails off to ensure that you return if that's what you want to do. Absolutely. Wouldn't, and wouldn't I be derelict if I didn't thank you for this opportunity to communicate with my constituents? Yes. And, and I assume uh, many more people than are my constituents, but at least my constituents, I say thank you to the Iowans for participating with Josh and Schmug. Oh, it's thank great. you so much for being on the show, Senator. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye. So I, I just love him. I mean, he's so good. Yeah, right. Been around for so long. People, you know, people who don't follow the ins and outs of politics all the time um, don't know where, you know, some of the leading edge conservative arguments against, you know, corporate America or against liberal immigration or, you know, liberal uh, jurisprudence, all that stuff where it derives from. Grassley, because he's not like a showboat, mm-hmm. you don't associate him with all those things. But if you look back through his career, he absolutely is. I mean, and that was honestly probably one of my favorite, favorite interviews that we have had on this show. Thank you so much, Senator Grassley. That was awesome. Totally. And I, it, listen, if he runs, it, it, we de- I think a mission of the show is just to make sure that he runs. <laughs> yeah, right. We should completely focus on making that happen. Right. Everybody should sign up. Please, Senator Grassley, run, please. The people cry out. The people so, cry out. And that's a banger of an episode, man. I, I, I told people this would be a good one. Awesome. It, was, it was absolute fire. So thank you, all our listeners. Thank you so much. The numbers keep going up. Keep telling your friends to subscribe. Uh, listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe, tell your friends. So until Thursday, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. <laughs>